You're listening to UCW Radio and your face. What we got here is a failure to communicate. Oh, have I got your attention now? You know what I mean? Why did you a place like this? Money never sleeps, but I'll... You're crazy. Don't run when you lose. Don't whine my head. You know what it takes to sell real estate? It takes brass ball, ball, ball. I'm falling, and I can't get up! All right, welcome back to another edition of Money Never Sleeps, the show where we touch on everything and anything that impacts the flow of money from around the corner to around the world. Uh, we have some great guests lined up for today's show from the world of private equity, crowdfunding, angel investing, and entertainment. Uh, but before we bring on our first guest, I want to go over a couple things. Uh, first, you need to make sure, you really need to make sure to catch the latest issue of Money Never Sleeps, the magazine. It's free to read and it has, you know, a lot of interesting, uh, uh articles in there. Uh, it can be found on ucwmagazine.com. Uh, we're featuring some real estate heavy hitters, some up and comers. We're talking about the real wolf of Wall Street, Jordan Belfort, and so much more. And now, for those companies, investors, private equity firms, and developers that are looking for off-market properties, whether it's in the United States, whether it's overseas, London, and the UK, Europe, wherever it may be, feel free to contact me via my personal website. That's lewisvelasquez.com. And you can reach out to me, and we have access to a wide array of off-market situations that you're not going to find anywhere else because they're not marketed. They're off-market. Uh, from the high-end luxury residences to hotels and portfolios on a global scale. So just reach out to me, and I'll be more than happy to speak with you. In New York, we work with various businesses and their leasing pursuits as well. We work with national and international chains as well as various levels of businesses in all areas, from office to industrial space, from entertainment to hospitality. doesn't matter what it is. We can help you achieve your realistic leasing goals, goals commercial goals, of course. Uh, now, with that said, I'm excited to bring on our first guest. He has been involved in the entertainment industry for a long time and understands the true dynamics of how producing a show works. This knowledge also gives him some insight into the flow of money in the, in the entertainment industry. And, you know, he really, you know, he's one of the really true good guys in entertainment. And I'm so happy to have him on the show. So without further ado, let's bring on David Lyons of Bishop Lyons Entertainment. On to Money Never Sleeps. All right, Dave, welcome to Money Never Sleeps. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, Lou. Thanks uh, for uh, having me on, buddy. Uh, thanks for coming on. I know you have a hectic, hectic schedule uh, with everything you have. You know, I, you, you and I, it's, it's hard for us to talk on a personal level. So having this, uh, this, this few minutes here is important. <laughs> well, there's so many things going on at once, and you know this because you're a businessman. It's, sometimes you're, you're, you're a juggler more than anything else. Yeah, well, that's what you've been doing. You know, you've been involved in the entertainment industry for quite some time. You know, uh, but why don't you give just a brief background for the listeners that may not know 
what you've done because I, I think that it's important so they can they can really grab a hold of what you're bringing to the table here. Sure. Um, well, I entered into the entertainment business approximately 15 years ago, and I created uh, a couple of sports entertainment uh, kind of competition reality shows. And I was new to the industry, but I was uh, lucky enough to get my first two shows uh, green-lighted by uh, Fox Sports. And that opened up a tremendous amount of doors for me. But unfortunately, soon after that, I got diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, and it kind of set me back a little bit. So I had to step back from the industry for about uh, two years while I regrouped and, and started battling this disease. When I came back into it, um, I got involved in a show called Hog Heaven, which ran for six years very successfully. We reached about 30 million viewers nationwide. Now that show is in um, international distribution and syndication, and uh, just through reruns, uh, we're not producing any new episodes. But in 2010, uh, once that kind of ran its course, I parted with a gentleman named Andrew Bishop, who is a successful producer out here in uh, L.A., and we formed Bishop Lions Entertainment. Okay, now with with your expertise and what you've done, you know, because Hog Heaven's a great show. Uh, too bad it had to, uh, you know, come to an end. But with with what you've done, you know, right now you're producing. You got you you and, and Bishop. You guys are producing a lot of reality shows now. Yeah. You know, why don't you give us a little uh, a brief synopsis on what you have going on, and then I want to get into uh, the money flow of things. Um, right now, I mean, we're in production of a show with AMC, uh, which will be airing in 2015. We just uh, finished a pilot uh, with MTV on a new series we're doing. Again, uh, should be airing in 2015 unless they push it forward before that. Uh, we're also partners with ITV Studios, a multi-billion dollar company that owns uh, so many of the shows that most people watch, like Duck Dynasty, Pawn Stars, Hell's Kitchen, um, they also own four, four or five of their own networks in the United Kingdom. Uh, we're partners with the producers of Mob Wives. Uh, we've done work with the producers of The Biggest Loser, you know, and on and on. And we've also are now working on a show up in Canada with the producers of The Canadian Bachelor. And the Canadian market is hard to enter when you're a U.S. Uh, citizen, but we cracked that, uh, that safe. And uh, we put a deal together with a production company up there. So we're very, very busy. And, you know, one of the things I think people, uh, the misconception that people have in the business is that it's a get-rich-quick type of, you know, situation that you create a reality show and the next thing you know you're Duck Dynasty and you're making, you know, $200,000 an episode. Uh, Lou, that's uh, the furthest from no, the truth. Oh, that's definitely the furthest from the truth. And, that, and I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people do have that misconception they're going to become the next Kim Kardashian or something, you know. So uh, <laughs> it's funny. But go ahead. Well, it is funny because there's literally 10,000 ideas floating out here in uh, Hollywood um, and hundreds and hundreds of uh, so-called producers and production companies and none of them could even get through the doors of the networks. The networks are very, very picky, and they've become more picky over the years because of the amount of reality shows that are being pitched and because of the amount of reality hours 
that are now uh, being aired, you know, there's so many people coming out with ideas and, and trying to get to the networks. But the networks are working with the companies and the people and the producers that they know. They, they know the level of their production. They've worked with them before, and they feel comfortable putting out, you know, three to five million dollars for a series the first season. And you know, we don't make a tremendous amount the first season um, as producers or even as cast members. But what happens is once the show airs, and we start garnering the viewership, and the networks see the dollars coming in from the sponsors and the advertisers a lot more than they were in the first season. Um, you know, as it builds the viewership, then our fees continue to climb. Mm-hmm. You know, we own part of the merchandising and, and syndication of the shows as well. So there's money made there. And, um, but it is a hard business to, to get into unless you're in that circle already. Um, luckily for me, um, I entered into the circle just as the reality world started going crazy and became very popular. So by the time it got to the point where the networks have been very choosy, I was already known as a high-level producer, so I had all the doors open to me. Yeah, but you, that's, not, that's not something that just happened overnight either. You worked hard, and I know this, because you and I, <laughs> you know, we know each other for a long time. So you, you've, uh, I saw you go through all the struggles and everything to get to this point. And to me, you know, uh, it's just very interesting how the industry works. And now, where you had to knock on people's doors, you have people knocking on your door trying to get in because you're the pathway to greatness. Well, you know, it's it's flipped. You know, when I first got in, of course, it was very, very difficult. You know, I was blessed to, to hit the right people and, and have a couple of shows that people loved and, and wanted to be involved in. You know, so those doors open. Um, but yes, it, it was a hard, uh, hard struggle, especially when I, uh, you know, was diagnosed with MS and it kind of set me back. You know, I walked away from a couple of my major projects because I couldn't do them, um, being hospitalized when I was, but fighting my way back. And you know this because you know me from that time of fighting back. Yeah. I was basically, you know, out and, and lost everything from being diagnosed with MS and had to start over. So luckily my name was good in the industry from before and when I came back I just made some phone calls and said, Hey, I'm back, let's do some things and then I did Hog Heaven and then uh you know, it made it a lot easier for me to, to get to the level that I'm at uh at this stage. Yeah, but even at this stage you still had to fight to climb up that ladder and and, and it's it's stuff like that that actually inspires people and I love it. You know, but you know, we're on Money Never Sleep, so of course we want to talk about the money flow and how, you know, with entertainment when money's flowing, money's flowing. And right now you have a lot more reality shows, as you said, coming to market. You know, do you see, you know, a lot of these things just being produced here? Do you, do you think that money's flowing from you know, other countries coming in here trying to produce this stuff? Well, absolutely. I mean, look, a lot of companies like mine are being acquired. Um, ITV Studios alone, which is a, a UK company, has bought up a bunch of production companies and, you know, of course, have worked with my company in partnership and, and uh, we might be an acquisition uh, deal for them down the road as well. Uh, there's companies from Germany, there's Asian companies that have come in and influxed money 
into the entertainment business, especially towards reality. So money is coming in from all parts of the country and the world for reality television because it's so big. And I'll give you, for instance, how difficult reality is because there's about 300 production companies just here in Los Angeles alone trying to knock down those doors with reality shows. Um, it makes it very, very difficult. And the, the networks, like, I'll give you, for instance, with AMC. AMC doesn't do a tremendous amount of reality television. Mm. They do more scripted programming than all of the other uh, networks, like Bravo, who does you know, 300, 400, 500 hours of uh, reality television, TLC. You know, these are, these are networks that do tremendous hours, whereas AMC doesn't. AMC does about 30 hours of reality programming. So they're doing a tenth of the amount of the other networks. So when we went out and we pitched our show to AMC, we were up against like five other shows, and some of them were celebrity-driven, Yet we got the deal with them, and we we were one of three that they green lighted uh, for this next year. So that alone made it very very difficult because that one network that that we were targeting for the show had so few hours of reality television, it made it ten times harder. But the way money flows is very very simple. Money is paid to producers and cast members, and directors, and all the staff that are put together on the higher level of the uh, creative part of it, and they're paid a per-episode fee. And as the show grabs legs and gets more viewership, those fees continue to grow with the viewers. But it's, not, like I said, it's a, it's a very, very competitive market. There's no template in this, by the way. What you get paid from one network for a show could be completely different than what you can get paid from another network, depending on, again, how many hours of programming they're doing, uh, what time slot they're giving you, how much experience you have. You know, a, a new producer is not going to make nearly as much as somebody uh, in my level, and I don't make nearly as much as somebody in Mark Burnett's level. So, you know, it's just a matter of the more you have on and the more years you have in the business the higher you're able to get on a per-episode basis for the first season. And then, as I said, as the viewership grows, so does your pockets. And j just to touch on AMC, AMC is more of a quality-driven network than you would have, like, with a Bravo. You know, Bravo is, is more AMC like anything. Is very, <laughs> what did you say? Hey, Bravo is more like, hey, it's anything. <laughs> Well, 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 Bravo has their market, and Bravo is is an over-the-top network. They want to shock people with mm -hmm. what they're bringing, um, where AMC is not trying to shock you. AMC is, you know, it used to be American uh, Movie Channel. Right, the So, you know, movies. they're known for quality movies mm -hmm. and quality scripted programming. So when they entered into the reality uh, realm, they wanted to keep that level of high-quality, good entertainment, it doesn't have to be, um, you know, stupid entertainment. And, and not that I'm putting any of the other networks or shows down because, you know, we produce stupid entertainment too. But, you know, there's difference between somebody that wants to watch something to kind of learn something and really get something out of the show. Mm -hmm. And then there's the different shows where it's just crazy entertainment, where it's a lot of conflict and drama and the Kardashian type of um, shows, which fit a market as well. Not everybody 
wants to use their brain while they're watching reality television. Sure. But AMC wants you to use your brain while you're watching reality television. And our new show really is extremely entertaining and it's very educational at the same time. Well, you know, I'm going to be a big fan of your show. That goes without saying, <laughs> you know, and, and well, that, you know, I, I was going to say something with three or three or four hundred production companies in uh, the uh, in the L.A. area alone trying to produce reality shows. And that's only in L.A. What about the other states and, you know, New York, Florida, this, that, you know, I mean, God, you know, if you have all these production companies popping up, you know, again, there's no guarantee that anyone you, that you're going to get aired anywhere. So, no. so it's like no, a, it's, a, it's, know, a, it's a crapshoot. It, it absolutely is. It costs money to produce a pitch to a network, and that's another um, thing you know we should discuss because it's not you don't come to a network with a piece of paper and say here's my show. What you come to the network with is a what we call a sizzle reel, which people would consider a trailer. And it, it could be anywhere from three minutes to six minutes, but it tells the story of what the show is. And it gives, gives the uh, network executive a clear understanding of what it is that you're pitching them. So the years back, you know, 15, 20 years ago, when you used to walk into a network and say, hey, here's my piece of paper, here's my treatment, you know, and they threw money at you, it was long gone. Mm -hmm. You're spending, you know, 20, 30, 40, or, or $50,000 investing in a project just to bring it to market, and you have no guarantee that a network's going to buy it. Mm. Um, the beauty of my company is that the networks know us, and we're represented by you know major uh, agents. So we get the network mandates, and we know what they're looking for. So we target what we're producing and what we're pitching towards those network mandates. Mm. It kind of skews the results for us uh, for the positive, but you know we could have. 20 projects out there and you know five of them get green lighted the other 15 we have to figure out how to monetize you know whether it's digitally or you know uh coming up with different ways of of doing things it's just uh the nature of the business you know how do you make money with what you put out there if the networks don't want to buy it uh, that that's the big that's a million dollar question right there especially when you're putting you can be putting up a lot of money to get that stuff done you know and and i think that with all the production companies and everything else that's going on out there, uh, quality, not quantity, quality is what is important. And kind of, you know, for our listeners that may be in, involved or interested in the entertainment industry, you know, when you link up with a production company that has an established record with these networks, your chances f by far are greater then if you just went with someone just to produce the show and hope for the best, you know, so it, I mean, it's good for them to, to, to know you and link up with you if they have something that's quality. And again, a lot of people pitch your shows, Dave, so you don't take everyone, but if somebody had something of interest, you know, you'd be uh, open to hearing it. Oh, absolutely. Look, you know, there's, I'm pitched about 50 times a day. I spend so many time, so much time every day just talking to people that have created ideas. You know, unfortunately, a lot of them come to me with already produced sizzle reels that are so poorly done and don't even fit the formats or the quality that the networks would look for that they basically have wasted, you know, twenty, thirty thousand dollars before they come to me. So I tell people before you spend money doing anything, come to me first. You know, talk to me about what the project is. Let's see if it's something that is worth putting money in on both ends. And I'm always willing 
uh, you know, to partner with people and invest in a great project. Mm -hmm. But it has to be something where the characters really pop or the venue is something extraordinary. And that's what the networks are looking for. They're not looking for the next American Idol. They're not looking for um, uh, another Duck Dynasty. They're looking for the different things with different characters. So if anybody has those and wants to talk to me, by all means, they could reach out. Uh, my website is Bishop Lions, and that's Lions with a Y dot com. And my email to reach me is David at bishoplions.com. So it's easy to get a hold of me there. Okay, good. You know, and I do urge anyone out there in the entertainment industry, if you have a reality show idea or just a TV show idea, and you're looking for probably one of the best production companies that I know of in the United States, you know, reach out to Bishop Lions. Go to bishoplions.com. That's Lions with an L, Y O N S. Right, I got that right. You know, dot com, and and you know, talk to Dave because if he if he has the time to speak to you, if he takes that minute to speak to you, trust me, is golden. All right, so you know, definitely check them out. And Dave, you know, this was very informative. I want to thank you for coming on, and yeah, I want to have you on again because the entertainment industry is a good indication of money flow because when people it's just interesting that you have sometimes you have more money flowing into entertainment during the bad times than the good times. But absolutely. You know, more people watch television and go to movies when when they're depressed or when the, the economy is yeah. bad than they do when when it's not. So, you know, we we're really thriving um in a time when this country really needs entertainment and people want to get their minds away from the garbage that they deal with in the world. Um and I think that's uh you know, it's terrible what's happening in the world, but you know, for entertainment, where the escape for people. Well, and that's what it is and that's always been a value in that since, you know, they they came out with the first moving picture. And, you know, and it hasn't stopped yet. You know, vaudeville, everything else, people need entertainment. That's why you have the USO. This is because it makes people smile. It, it that's right. releases the endorphins, makes you feel better. And that's what it's all about. Uh, but again, you know, Dave, thanks for coming on the show. I want our listeners to stick with us because we're going to bring on another great guest. Uh, but also at the end, right here, I want you to go to Bishop's Lions, bishoplions.com. Check it out and see all the great things that they have coming out because even if you're just interested in learning more about it, you'll get information on that website. Dave, thanks again. Listeners, stay with us. We're going to be back with you on Money Never Sleeps. This is Chef Gavin Murphy with your one-minute healthy cooking tip. For all my fellow fitness freaks out there, eating lean, high-protein meats like chicken, turkey, or even pork loin is part of our everyday diet. I get asked all the time, how do I make chicken breast juicy and not dry and overcooked? This is how. Season the breast with salt and pepper and sear in a drizzle of olive oil in a hot pan until golden on both sides. Preheat your oven to 400 degrees and place the breasts on a foiled oven tray. Pour one cup of chicken broth on the tray and pop it in the oven for six to seven minutes. What's going to happen is the broth will create steam in the oven while the chicken is cooking and add moisture to the meat. And that's my secret. Also, very important, guys, once you take the chicken out of the oven, let it rest for three to four minutes, and this will also keep all the juices in the breast. For more tips and information on me, go to my site, GavinMurphy.com. Hi, everyone. 
John and Pete Najarian here at the NASDAQ with some news you do not want to miss. As option floor traders, CNBC contributors, and co-founders of OptionMonster.com, people always want to know our secrets for trading the options. So we wrote an entire book on it. And today, to celebrate the book launch, we're giving away a limited number of these books for free. All you have to do is cover shipping and handling. Learn how you can use options like we do to make more income with less capital. To reduce your investment risks. And to make money regardless of which way the market's moving. It's all right here in this book, and today we're giving it away to you for free. Equity options today are hailed as one of the most successful financial products to be introduced in modern times. You have to learn to profit from them. This one book could dramatically increase your investment returns. And today it's free. So pick up that phone and call now. Call 1-800-961-1923 for your free book. That's 1-800-961-1923. Call now. All right, welcome back to Money Never Sleeps, and we're here with David Drake of LDJ Capital, and we're going to talk a little bit about real estate, a little bit about energy, and a little bit about a few other things. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah. David, I want to welcome you to Money Never Sleeps. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. And thank you for having me, Louise. You know, Money Never Sleeps seems to be very poignant to what's happening on a global basis, an international basis from our family office. So tell me, what can I um, share with the audience today, Louise? Well, let's talk about real estate. You know, you have a lot of uh, private equity uh, firms that are getting in, you know, to the, to the real estate game. You have Blackstone doing a lot of things and a lot of other private equity firms popping up. Maybe you can give us a little uh, insight to what's going on in that arena. Well, I'd love to do that. You know, my background was as a family office, we made investments over the last 15 years into different industries. And uh, I've been traveling the last three years every week to a different city and sometimes a different country to visit other family offices that we do syndication deals with. But we've seen that the common denominator with family offices, which are families with $25 million and up networks wanting to hire their own staff to handle all their assets, is that they all have real estate as investments. And the tectonic, the tectonic shift that we're seeing globally today is that the internet is facilitating the real estate transactions today, and that's an explosion that has barely scratched the surface today. And that's really what I wanted to talk about. I mean, you know, granted, I'm on the board of advisors for Angel Networks, and we've been general partners in the venture capital fund, the hedge fund, and real estate fund of fund, and other private equity funds in the past. But recently, the last few years, we focused in a lot on our effort to vertically integrate media and real estate, and what's happening in different countries and best uh, best services and best companies and best plays of those different countries and continents summarize what's happening both in the U.S. and elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So what I wanted to talk about is that in real estate, historically, you know, you would stress out until you raise the money to buy the real estate. And then after you bought the real estate, you would start the marketing and the PR and social media. But because of the Internet being become persuasive and, of course, leading in the U.S. and Europe, is that today, if you stick to the, to the rules of SEC and FINRA, you can technically find investors online and aggregate investors to buy that property that historically was not possible to do as easily because you have to visit people one by one. 
and FedEx documents and have the lawyers look at it and the time uh, the time that it took to FedEx things back and forth, the lawyer's not in, the lawyer is in, and the law fees are tremendously high. That has all been facilitated by the Internet. So today, a lot of the platforms coming out, they claim to be crowdfunding for the real estate platform. I know most people think crowdfunding is Kickstarter and, you know, you give some money, you get a gadget. But the concept of crowdfunding for real estate is very simple. You use the Internet and the computer to facilitate a transaction. Yet the investors are still accredited. And accreditation today means that you've had at least $200,000 in salary the last two years or 300000 married, or you had a net worth of a million dollars, excluding your main home. And today, there are 8.6 million people like that in the U.S., recent services shown. And actually, 225,000 of them, less than 5%, put in $22.5 billion in 2012. So because of that opening in the marketing that you're allowed to do online and that things are doing, done faster online, the real estate developers who are calling us daily, and that's who we want us to call. We want developers who are calling us because you guys have never enough money to do all the deals you see, can now come to us and ask us, hey, how do we do this thing, raise the money before we can do the marketing, PR, and sales? And that's where we come in because we've virtually integrated to look at what everybody in the world has done. We actually have, I'm on the board for a company called Times Realty News, and we recently, two months ago, finished a 20, a 200-page report on the top 20 crowdfunding for real estate platforms in the world. And combined, they put in $517 million cash into real estate the last two years. With the, on the valuation of the real estate, that's over $1.2 So it's not that something's coming up. This has been around for several years. And, you know, the explosion of this will happen within the next 24 months because every landlord, everybody who wants to buy a property could now turn to the Internet to raise the money. Now, listen, there's compliance issues. We lobbied the White House and the Congress, the both, both the Senate and the House of Representatives, for the Jobs Act to allow this kind of advertising. And we're still lobbying to work with them. I was invited with the White House for Champions Change, and I was representing the U.S. Commerce Department on these topics. So to me, I'm looking at the most exciting thing in real estate is the fact that you can raise money through the Internet. But every country has a different way of doing it. So, um, you know, I'm encouraging your listeners that if they are in the real estate business or they want to be in it or buy something, you know, they should reach out to us at LDJ Capital to see how we can help them with the strategy. Well, let me ask you something, Dave, because that's really interesting because you, you touched on some really important points because you do have a lot of developers. And I, I see it because I, you know, I'm in the commercial real estate game and I see the developers coming out and they're, you know, they're trying to acquire a lot of properties. Problem is they have to target the property first. And then at that point, if they don't have enough funding. They have to go get the money. Okay. But what you're doing, you're giving them an avenue where they can actually go and do this, if not prior, but simultaneously and cut time. Because when, you know, time's money. So you, you lose time, you potentially can lose a deal. So it allows them to close more deals and get more things done. Am I right? Correct. Okay. And you know what? It's fascinating that one out of 100 developers I talked to have never heard of being able to use crowdfunding to raise capital in the multi-millions. And, you know, we work with family offices. We have a family office network in London. And there's one family who's done $800 million, and they're asking me to help them on a global strategy. And they don't want to be on a list. They're not on my top 20. Uh, the reason being, they ask me not to be. They're sitting on, you know, $5 billion worth of 
money and they don't need more help on that aspect, but they need strategy help and, you know, finding good deal flow. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating space. And, and the reason it's more fascinating than general crowdfunding is because you actually have a real property. You have real land. That's probably mm-hmm. the oldest asset we ever had in history, mm-hmm. understanding how to own that land. And because of that, you're not going to lose your money necessarily that easily because the land's not going to disappear. And the improvement of the building that's on the land probably not going to disappear either. So there's recourse, meaning that there is a real asset that's valued something versus a startup who the next day could just close doors and say, whoops, money's gone, sorry. So yeah, that's why I think this is very exciting. Yeah, and and just to touch on on the uh, on the uh, the family office that you were speaking about, you know, I always feel, and I've always felt, and I still feel this way, that when you're doing things, um, I'm going to use the term off market. When you're doing uh, deals, whether it's real off market real estate, to me, is like the best way to actually get deals done. Or if you're dealing with the family offices, you're dealing with these type of people. You know, you don't to have someone that's on a list and. People, everyone knows it. It kind of hinders the progress. I feel so. Having someone that is, uh, you, you know, high. It's a highly the uh, high discretion, a high discretion case. Those type of people, you can actually get more things done with. Again, this is my view. I don't know if you share that same view. Well, look, I, I think in the real estate business, there has to be physical interaction, but also. Uh, online interaction can facilitate transactions. Um, you know, since I'm covering all the platforms of the world, I see where the trend is going and I see who's getting more traction and who's raising money. You know, uh, Realty Mogul raised $31 million, Series A. They didn't even, they weren't even actually looking for money at that time. And Silverstein from, um, you know, the Twin Towers mm-hmm. and Renren, a Chinese, uh, technology company gave him 31 million and that was not to buy real estate they gave him 31 million just to open up more offices to find more deals to do more deals and you know that's a tremendous amount of money that's over 100 million dollars for mm-hmm. a startup to get money from some of the biggest players in the world so there's been a couple of these transactions just showing that the private equity firms you know and the family offices and even the public firms that are in real estate, like REITs, they're all now calling us, asking us, you know what, this is good uh, PR. This is good community building. This is good for a community that we're building a retail uh, store mm-hmm. to voice themselves what they like to see in the store instead of us second-guessing. Even though we don't make money on doing an offering for crowdfunding, we like to do the crowdfunding because we let the community in the neighborhood put their money where their mouth is, mm-hmm. which means we get guaranteed word of mouth marketing and uh, market entry if we put in a retail um, uh, mall in a certain community because people in the community can take a piece. Mm-hmm. So it's not only black and white that takes down a deal, it's also black and white, uh, it's also gray where t- people using it for marketing purposes to hype up a location and get the community to back it behind them. And, and, that's, and just, that's what we're seeing as well. And that's the stuff that a lot of people don't see. They don't see what happens behind the curtain. And I'm glad that you brought that up because I, I think it's important for people to see the whole picture because, you know, what you're talking about is extreme truth. No, no, indeed. No, we're excited. And we started to see this abroad, too. But the Internet penetration and the trust online is highest in the U.S. 
So obviously the U.S. is taking a lead in this. And, uh, you know, out of the top 20 in the world, you know, 15 of them, oh, actually all 20 are from the U.S. today mm. when it comes to revenue generation and the deal, deal flow. But, yeah, you know, we have more and more groups reaching out to us at LJ Capital to advise them of, you know, we want to do this. How do we go about and how do we strategize to be in the right positioning to do so? Because it gets very intrinsic with what the platforms are allowing today, which is very limited. Oh, well, I, I think I think um, what I think. How do you see this industry, Louis? Well, what what I see happening with real estate, and you you touched on it already. You know, that's the one thing. You know, they they'll never reproduce. You you can grow more corn. You can you can you can do a lot of things with other commodities, but land. You know, unless we start landing uh, on on Mars and creating uh, you know societies over there, we're not going to get any more land. You know, so what you're doing, you're you're allowing more developers, you're allowing more people to get in the game. And if you're in the game, you know, it's a great game to be in if you understand it. And as you said, you know, the asset part of it is important because you have an intrinsic asset in your hands. So, you know, your your money is protected in that sense, in that sense. But, yeah, and, yeah, and Lewis, you know, on the same note, I agree with you that it also – it is difficult for for groups out there to understand what's happening because mm-hmm. it's a nascent industry. It's not very big. Even though 1.7 billion or 1.2 billion seems big, and the industry is a multi-trillion-dollar industry, mm-hmm. um, so it becomes important for people to be able to say, okay, well, let me look at the top five and do a comparison between the five, so I get to understand the landscape. And that's what we did with the Times Realty News report. We created a report so you can actually, uh, you know speed learn on what's happening in the industry and better get a better grasp of what's possible and what's not. It's not that easy to just put it up and see money coming in. Not at all. Mm-hmm. It's not. Um, there's a lot of compliance issues, and, but it doesn't have to be expensive. You just have to have good advice to understand how to go about to do certain things. And that's where you come into play because you have your fingers on the pulse of what's happening, not only uh, stateside but internationally, and that's value. That's value to a developer. That's value to someone investing uh, in real estate because you have that type of information. Information's power, and you're giving them that yeah. power so they can make an informed decision on things. Right. I mean, you know, too often we just don't know who to hire because we don't know the right questions to ask. Right. So the first thing I want our people working with us is to read the articles. No, we were part of you know lobbying both the houses for the Jobs Act, and I've written 250 articles on that topic the last three years. You know, uh, we're also looking at what other countries are doing, and we're advising peak companies in, in other countries and expansion international partnerships to expand abroad. Um, I've always focused on international because we were part of co-founding the, the crowdfunding association of the U.S. Um, with our first meeting with SEC ever that we organized April 20th. Uh, 2012. And, you know, there's so much information and confusion about this new nascent industry, but that also gives everybody who listens to this program a chance to say, wow, that whole industry is like the wild, wild west. If I go out in the desert and put down a claim that I know things in crowdfunding, there's really nobody out there to challenge you because it's so new. And that's the beauty. You can actually carve out a specialty or a niche uh, within real estate or within another other topic too. Yeah. So that's what we've worked on being those global strategists for companies 
they see opportunity and they want to learn more. Well, and as I said, I'm going to sound redundant, but that is value. That's value to someone that is investing a developer, whether it's, you know, again, stateside or international. And, you know, I wanted to go over energy and some other things, but, you know, we don't have the time to do that. But what I want to do, David, you know, if it's okay, you know, I want to bring you on again because I want to touch on the different areas that you work on uh, because, again, I think that that's going to be uh, valuable to our listeners so that they can learn. Because I, I always feel that if you're educated in, in, in a certain area, that you can actually do more. And uh, if you're, you're looking to close deals, you know, information is king. And that's how... No, no, I agree. Know. It would be a pleasure to come back on with you, Louis, and talk about oil and gas, metals and mining and technology, Beautiful. range of investment in general. Uh, you know, if, if for the readers or the listeners, you know, I would recommend them, they go to Times realtynews.com mm-hmm. and read some articles. Just see what's happening. I'm on the board for that company and if anybody needed to reach me by email, they can email me at david at Times Realty News. That's probably the easiest way to reach me. Okay. Over so, to you. Alright, beautiful, beautiful. And, uh, you know, all our listeners out there, I do urge you to check out Time Real, Times Realty, Realty News and, you know, check it out and find out what's going on because David does know what he's speaking about. And, uh, David, again, I want, to, I want to thank you for coming on the show. And I, well, we'll have you on again because I want to touch on those other things. Uh, but for our listeners, I want you to stay with us. We're going to be right back on Money Never Sleeps. This is Chef Gavin Murphy with your one-minute healthy cooking tip. For all my fellow fitness freaks out there, eating lean, high-protein meats like chicken, turkey, or even pork loin is part of our everyday diet. I get asked all the time, how do I make chicken breast juicy and not dry and overcooked? This is how. Season the breast with salt and pepper and sear in a drizzle of olive oil in a hot pan until golden on both sides. Preheat your oven to 400 degrees and place the breasts on a foiled oven tray. Pour one cup of chicken broth on the tray and pop it in the oven for six to seven minutes. What's going to happen is the broth will create steam in the oven while the chicken is cooking and add moisture to the meat. And that's my secret. Also, very important, guys, once you take the chicken out of the oven, let it rest for three to four minutes, and this will also keep all the juices in the breast. For more tips and information on me, go to my site, gavinmurphy.com. Hi everyone, John and Pete Nigerian here at the NASDAQ with some news you do not want to miss. As option floor traders, CNBC contributors, and co-founders of OptionMonster.com, people always want to know our secrets for trading the options. So we wrote an entire book on it. And today, to celebrate the book launch, we're giving away a limited number of these books for free. All you have to do is cover shipping and handling. Learn how you can use options like we do to make more income with less capital. To reduce your investment risks. And to make money regardless of which way the market's moving. It's all right here in this book, and today we're giving it away to you for free. Equity options today are hailed as one of the most successful financial products to be introduced in modern times. You have to learn to profit from them. This one book could dramatically increase your investment returns. And today it's free. So pick up that phone and call now. Call 1-800-961-1923 for your free book. That's 1-800-961-1923. Call now. All right, welcome back to Money Never Sleeps, and we're here with Brian Emerson of Starlight Capital, and we're going to be talking about private equity and what's happening in this arena. Brian, welcome back to Money Never Sleeps. It's been a long time. How have you been? 
Thanks, Lou. It's great to be back with you again. Well, you know, you always have some uh, some serious insight for us, so uh, I'm looking forward to hearing that. So, you know, why don't you give um, a brief overview of what you do, and then let's talk about private equity and what's going on in that arena. You bet. Thanks, Lou. Uh, I've, I've run uh, Starlight Capital for the last 13 years. We're an early-stage uh, uh, capital-raising uh, and consulting firm. We, uh, we help early stage companies that are in or beyond their, uh, angel round, uh, get funding in private markets, uh, with high net worth individuals and early stage, uh, private equity firms, family offices, uh, hedge funds. And, um, we've had the opportunity of, of helping to raise about $400 uh, million over the years through a private equity conference that we host at the Yale Club in New York, uh, five times a year. And uh, always trying to uh, to help entrepreneurs as a, uh, a, a serial entrepreneur myself and later angel investor and uh, investment banker, try to do uh, the best I can to help companies. And, you know, this is not a bad time at all for them to be uh, looking for funding. No, n- not at all, because, I mean, you see the money flying all over the place. And I, you know, that's talking about flying all over the place. I want to ask you a question. Okay, with private equity, where you know I I had on on our last show I was talking about private equity and venture capital and trying to get an idea where the money's flowing from. You know, we talked about China, Russia, but things are changing now. Where do you see that influx of investment coming from at this point? Well, I think in terms of uh, foreign investment, a lot of it is coming through China's uh, China and the EB five uh, program that's set up in the U.S. We're also seeing a lot uh, coming from Europe, and uh, now that's into uh, small private firms. Of course, if you had real estate, you know, there was a huge influx of Russian money and, and uh, money from all over the world seeking kind of a, quote, safe haven uh, in the dollar. Um, also, the uh, real estate industry has not been subject to any money laundering laws, as is the securities industry, so it's really been able to take from all countries and all places. Oh, that, that's interesting because I, I, you know, with the show, we're always trying to get an idea where the money's flowing so that our listeners can kind of, you know, get a better feel for what's happening on a global basis. And that, that gives us a good idea of what's happening on a global basis. Now, with what you do, you, you work with, I mean, a ton, and I know you do, you work with a ton of uh, early stage companies that are, that could be the next big thing out there. So, I mean, how, how does your program work? Well, basically what we do is we uh, probably get about 500 applications for the 15 slots we have at each private equity conference that we host at the Yale Club in New York. And uh, what we found is the, the top three areas over the last year, according to a recent uh, Silicon Valley uh, Angel Report, are in um, Internet, mobile, and healthcare. So that, that would be just purely domestically. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we get, uh, groups like that and, and in some other areas as well in front of about uh, 150 investors. And, uh, these investors, some of whom are professional investors, are there to invest for their personal account. And, uh, a lot of them are finding internet mobile companies very capital efficient where they could put, put to work a little bit of capital, meaning maybe a couple million dollars and, um, really be able to leverage that and not have the uh, the huge capex that they do with uh, oil and gas or real estate or uh, maybe even seeking FDA approval for uh, for some of the uh, healthcare drugs and things so very capital efficient way to 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 get in 
And do you see more money flowing into private equity nowadays as opposed to, let's say, about two, three years ago? You know, I know we did have a dip a couple years ago. Um, I haven't seen the latest uh, for private equity per se. I did read a report about angel investing, which, um, you know, some of our uh, deals get funded uh, through angels and others through private equity. But in terms of angels, I think that 2013 was a high watermark for the last uh, five or six years. Uh, I believe the average investment size was 600000 and the average pre-money was about $2.5 million. So early-stage investing seems to be on the uptick. Um, one of the new entrants in terms of uh, angel investor groups at the Houston Angel Network, and certainly Texas has been getting a lot of uh, energy money over the last uh, couple years, and so uh, we're seeing more money flowing out of uh, Texas. And, and uh, still the West Coast and the East Coast are going to be the biggest biggest sources, but we're starting to see a little bit more diversification in terms of sources. And with your event that happens at the Yale Club, now what type of companies do you have applying? Because you only have 15 slots, and you get 500 applications. That's a lot of applications to go through. Right. Typically, we're getting referrals in from uh, the investor participants that see a lot of great companies and, and refer them over to us. Typically, they're looking for about one to ten million in fresh equity. They probably have revenues anywhere from uh, maybe five hundred thousand to uh, maybe a couple million a year. And uh, this next slug of equity should help propel them up and over that uh, uh, that that chasm that's hard to get through for early stage companies. Okay, and now the the, the investors that come to your conference. Uh, do they, I mean, yeah, I'm sure that you have uh, uh, an eclectic bunch of people in one room, and they're, they're, you know, each person is looking for a particular thing. But right now, I mean, I know you mentioned a couple of categories, you know, but do you see these companies that are involved in tech and healthcare? do you see them coming from the Northeast, or are they coming from all over the country? Oh, definitely they're coming from all over the country. We're getting uh, great referrals. Um, you know, the, the two coasts obviously have been the biggest referral sources, but uh, more and more we're seeing tech companies come out of um, energy states because there's more uh, resources there in terms of time, money, and talent to help uh, uh, bring, these, uh, bring these to market. In, with respect to the profile of investors, about half of the in, 150 or so investors tend to be kind of retired CEO types that have time, money, and contacts to put in and the other half tend to be current finance professionals uh, that are investing personally. And generally, instead of a sector focus, most of them want to bet on the jockey, not the horse. So they're really looking at the founder and the, and the early stage management team. Since they know the business plan is going to change, that typically tends to dominate over, you know, quote, the idea or, or some of the intellectual property. So it becomes more of a personal uh, connection because they need to have that. They need to know that, you know, whoever is the at the helm of that ship, they can they can follow through as opposed to uh, crashing six months or a year in. Well, that's exactly right. And in fact, we get a lot of feedback from uh, people in our industry that run some of these online matching sites for investors and entrepreneurs, and say we get a lot of traffic, but not a lot of deals are getting done because the investors really want to have more of a personal relationship with the founders of these companies. They want to look them in the eye, shake their hands, 
you know, see if they have the social skills, maturity, and honesty uh, before they do a deal. So, you know, we just had our uh, 50th conference on June 26th uh, uh, since uh, 2001, where Larry Kudlow was our keynote speaker, and our next one is October 2nd. And so we're anticipating uh, another full house again because we get people there that that, that want to have this personal relationship and meet people face-to-face and not uh, have uh, an impersonal relationship like you do over the web. That That's important to get information over the web, but it's that personal uh, uh, touch that helps seal the deal. That's always the best way to do business is you, when you look a person in the eyes, you can get an idea of what, what type of person they may be. You know, um, now the, the, the private equity investors, the angel investors that you have going to the conference, now would you consider them just passive investors or do they actually become active in helping to grow these companies? Well, generally they will become as active as the management wants them to be, assuming that the management is, you know, keeping its end of the deal and, and, and doing its best to hit the, uh, the, the goals that it's outlined. Um, these the, the, the half of the investors that are the retired CEOs tend to want to do mentoring. They want to be on boards. They want to be. Uh, they don't want to run a company, but they would love to have their input solicited and, and be somewhat involved. Uh, the private equity fund uh, people have a little bit more uh, time limit, uh, time constraints. However, they're encouraging these companies to get to that next level so they could bring them back and be candidates for investments in their funds, which generally started, you know, five or ten million and up um, versus, you know, the inve- probably the average investment size at the conference would be maybe half a million or million per investor uh, so that they could finish out a five or ten million round, you know, with several people fairly easily. But again, once that round's done, then the, uh, the fund ought to be able to come in with much deeper pockets and, uh, and, and do a later stage round. So, a lot of these investors will give the entrepreneurs two bites to the apple so that the entrepreneurs don't have to go out and find all new funding sources again for the next round. And that is what I wanted to get to, and that's why I brought that up, because, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, small businesses and anyone that's soliciting, and if you have a small business, you know, it's hard to get the funding. It's hard to get investment. And once you get one round, you, you already know that you're going to need another two or three rounds to get to where you need to get to. But if you have to start the process all over again, it's like you're going, you're spending your time, which can be well spent building your company, but you're spending it on trying to find money. So with what you're doing, Brian, and Starlight, basically you're setting up a platform where these guys can get in there, these entrepreneurs can get in there, get in front of these investors. And you may have, as you said, you have you know, higher-end private equity funds that, that have low-end uh, uh, rates that they, they have to go invest, you know, it's, I guess it's in their corporate charters, you know, 5 $10, you know, $20 million in a company. But when you build that relationship, Meanwhile, nothing's getting done. It helps you uh, during the later stages. That's right. We think this is a very time-efficient way to get the funding done. According to the University of New Hampshire last year, I think it said that about 21%, if I remember correctly, of uh, companies that solicited funded uh, funding got funding uh, in that year, and uh, obviously the others didn't. And so for those that didn't, we want to think about, you know, what are the venues that, that, that they could go to, such as ours, to help uh, help them get over that wall. And for those that were in the 
what can we do to help them be more efficient? Obviously, we only have 24 hours in a day, so to the extent that uh, you can use your time most productively to run the business and just a little, as little time as possible to raise uh, uh, money, that's important, and that's what we, uh, we try to do to get the, the right folks in the room on one day. Uh, I think I think you're doing some great stuff, Brian. Um, and I know that you have a lot of things going on, so we don't want to keep you too long. But I do want to say for any listeners out there, if you are a small business and you're looking to, to raise capital, the, what Starlight is doing, they're giving a platform that allows you to do this in the most efficient manner possible where other other places and I'm not mentioning any any other uh, uh outfits that may just take you through one round and then you have to go back to the table which it, it kind of kills you it really does because it's, you get, it's getting back to work again <laughs> you know right yeah and another another uh, aspect of this uh, Lewis you know is that I have my FINRA licenses Mm-hmm. with a broker-dealer sequence financial specialist. And uh, that way, if, if investment banking licenses are required uh, to do these deals, uh, we've got all the regulatory backing and clean records to, to, to back that up. Um, but, you know, it's not required uh, for someone who's raising funds at the conference to enter into such an agreement. But we've got that back in in place to give people the comfort that, you know, we're running all the rules and regulations that are required. Well, I think it's important that, uh, again, you know, uh, to have all the, I think it's important to have all these things in order because what you're providing, Brian, you're providing a beginning to potentially IPO situation and you're giving everyone the tools they need to get from point A to point B as seamlessly as possible. And that's what I want our listeners to understand that this is what you're doing and you do it well. And, and I know you do. <laughs> You know, uh, but if well, you... thanks, Lou. It's, uh, I appreciate the vote of confidence. Uh, we're looking forward to uh, our, our next uh, conference coming up, let's say, on October 2nd to be full, and would certainly love to get as many of your listeners involved as early as possible. Yeah, well, I I may be there personally doing something, so any anyone that's listening, you can come down and meet me over there if I happen to show up. Um, but then I'll, I'll talk about that moving forward. Uh, Brian, but if you can do me a big favor, just let our listeners know how, how to find out more about what you're doing and anyone that's out there that may uh, be looking for funding, Hey, you know what? You can go to Starlight Capital and and find out. But Brian, give that information if you don't mind. Sure. The easiest thing to do would be to go to StarlightCapital.com. That's S-T-A-R-L-I-G-H-T, and click on the Events tab, and we have a, a full listing of information there that uh, will help people uh, uh, understand what's coming up with the conference. And if for some reason uh, we're not able to help with the conference, maybe a, a company is outside. Uh, profile. Uh, we'll do our, our best to try to uh, make an introduction or help them in some way since, you know, we're here to help early stage companies get to the next level one way or another. And I like it. And I like what you do, Brian. That's why I wanted you to come on the show. Uh, just uh, for our listeners, make sure to check out starlightcapital.com uh, and uh, find out more about what they're doing. And on that note, you know, uh, this uh, concludes uh, another edition or segment of Money Never Sleeps. Uh, I believe it was jam-packed with information. Hopefully uh, our listeners will learn a couple of things or get certain information from it that will help you. And uh, we will be back with you next Monday. I want to remind you, please check out the Money Never Sleeps magazine. 
And you can find that on ucwmagazine.com. And until then, I want you guys to have, and hopefully you'll have, an extremely profitable week moving forward. See you next Monday. Initiating shutdown sequence. You're listening to UCW Radio in your face. What is your major malfunction? So let it be written. So let it be done. Ladies and gentlemen, my mother thanks you, my father thanks you, my sister thanks you, and I thank you.